Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yeah. Very I, excited. I about am too. The beat that we are putting out. Ow! <laughs> I can't clap today because I might lose audio, so I'm gonna try some new tactics. I like it. I like it. That's the vocal stylings of Shelly Mazzanoble over there. I am Greg Tito for the official Dungeons the Dragons podcast. I'm coming at you, and we've got a great show for you. We talked to Adam Davis of Game to Grow. Yay! Great return guests. Uh, we're doing all the 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 callbacks once uh, get former guests of ours have books coming out. I know, right? I do feel like Dragon Talk was a part of their professional growth. <laughs> <laughs> their game to grow uh, with uh, with with uh, everything that they've been doing. So we're going to check yes. in with with Adam uh, about uh, both game to grow, but also critical core and yeah. how they are using Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop RPGs in a clinical setting as well as a uh, educational, social, emotional learning setting. So much good stuff there, and really good advice just for dungeon masters in general, True. and just. Life skills in general. Yeah, yeah. We, How we, we can that. teach through uh, play is something that I think of a lot as a uh, parent and dungeon master. I agree. Yeah, so we'll get a lot more from Adam there. Um, and we've got a lot of fun stuff going on in the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Before we get to that interview, uh, we want to give a shout-out to our friends on the Twitch channels who do a community wonderfulness. Shelly, what can you tell us about yes. uh, what Latia and Amy are doing? Latia, Amy, and Sarah are and Sarah. doing a wonderful community live stream every Tuesday, 2 p.m. Pacific on the D&D Beyond Twitch channel. So it's great to see them back together, back doing live streams. And talking to some really great guests, we have a lot of, they talk to a lot of uh, wonderful people from the community, content creators, and um, just do some really fun stuff on there. So why not just tune in, listen, they're a dream team, three of my personal favorite wizards. And um, of course, if you can't catch that live stream, you can still catch the VODs on uh, the Twitch channel as well. But give it a tune in, check it out. I think think all of them are former Dragon Talk guests as well. I, yeah. Right? With I Sarah? think we were instrumental in their growth as their careers. I mean. Uh, in, in, in addition to uh, them being now a big part of the D&D team now. So that's really cool. L- let us just take credit for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's success. Uh, yes, I'm sure we had something to do with that as well. I remember talking to Latia maybe at like Gamehole Con, like way back when. We were talking about initiative coffee. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Right? Yeah. It's uh, it's lo- wonderful how it all comes full circle as well as we being, you know, like the Dungeon Masters who just like like to set people up for their success. And lift them up. Lift you up. Yes. Good stuff anyway. all around. Um, and yeah, how is uh, how are you feeling after not being able to um, have your weekly D and D club? Have, have you have you are you missing it? I'm absolutely missing it, and I'm sure that everybody's really missing me talking about how great it is to be a dungeon master. Um, but no, I am missing it. But you know, it's 
kind of adorable is I see my little D&D club kids around and mm-hmm. they're all wearing their little ampersand baseball caps and they get really excited when they see me. Aww. Like definitely more excited than Quinn. But they're like, Hi, Shelly! Hi, Shelly! Like one of them, I gave him a copy of Tasha's Cauldron and like all he wants to do is talk about Tasha's Cauldron and like all the stuff that he's discovered in there and like, I love you guys. I just, Aww. we just, we just have this bond. It's so special. I love it. Yeah. And that's what um, uh, dungeon mastering can do is create bonds uh, between uh, both your players and you and them. So that's, that's super cool. It really is. Yeah. We'll be making more of that. Those bonding moments happen. I think I wanted uh, a volunteer at my daughter's school. I think I'm just going to send the oh note gosh. to the principal now and just be like, hey, I missed all of the ones for, for after-school activities for this year, but for next year, I want to do it. Are you serious? Yeah. I You're going to do it. I do. I feel inspired. Greg. I got inspiration. Be, be prepared now for them to say absolutely yes, and be prepared now to have more kids than you'll know what to do with. <laughs> they're all, they're, the funny thing is there already is one, uh, but I think they do it virtually. I don't think they do it in person. Um, so I want to to be the instrumental part of of making it happen in person. Well, are we talking the uh, elementary or yeah, middle school? Elementary. Okay. Yeah, I nice. want I want I want to uh, have that experience because what you talking about it has made me be like, hmm, that's super cool. Seriously, it hasn't made you like roll your eyes and go, oh, stop talking about it. You have given me inspiration, so now I can roll. Aww. With advantage, uh, and I can, uh, you know, the tables have turned. You can teach me how to uh, dungeon master in that setting. I don't know if I can teach you anything, but you can. I'm so excited! Wonderful. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Yeah, and I'm gonna use all the, uh, you know, tools. I think that Adam Davis from Games to Grow is able to put together in his stuff as well. And uh, I'm gonna ask him all these questions uh, when we when we talk to him. You'll definitely want a copy of Critical Core. That's your first tip. Yep. Dots. I'm going to get some dipping dots as well. Yep. Kids do like the dipping dots. (laughs) All right. You'll get that reference when you listen to this interview. Let's uh, let's get Adam on the horn. Let's welcome back Adam Davis to Dragon Talk. Yay! 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 Adam, we missed you. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. It has been a long time. I appreciate the shout out in the Dragon Talk book, too. Had to include you there. As you know, we have a kind of a soft spot for people who do the type of work that you do, Adam. Very true. Yeah. And we should we should talk about what that <laughs> work is, because we may have some new listeners since that interview, I don't know how many years ago, but um, yeah, a therapeutic game master... And uh, co-founder and executive director of Game to Grow. Let's start there. What is this amazing organization? So Game to Grow, we are a nonprofit organization based here in Seattle. What we're most well known for is our therapeutic use of tabletop role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but our mission is bigger than that, actually. We started off, um, Adam Johns and myself, who were on here uh, six years ago, I think it was. Wow. Back, back then, we were a two-person organization serving just 
the Seattle area. But since we went virtual in 2020, we've expanded our reach. We now have over 150 participants from all over the world. We have a training program teaching other people what we do uh, using tabletop role-playing games in an applied way. And we also released our very own tabletop role-playing game called Critical Core, which is kind of like a beginner's box for therapeutic role-playing games. It's amazing. And also, like, just to think, in 2020, were you planning on going virtual or did the <laughs> pandemic force that to happen? Pandemic forced it. We thought it was going to be two weeks. <laughs> we, yeah. we were like, eat, buy an extra pasta. And like, we'll just make this work for two weeks. Go virtual. We got on all of our groups transitioned to Zoom. And then we'd always had a waiting list. You know, people had heard about the work that we do from various parts of the United States and around the world. And then when everything was virtual, we realized, and, we, and when we realized we were going to be virtual for a long time, we realized that we could actually serve people in other parts of the country and around the world. So we have participants now, every time zone in the United States, we have participants in Australia and parts of Europe and parts of Asia. What's the difference been for something like this work? Obviously, everybody who's played D&D online knows that it's different from being in person, but specifically about, you know, kind of the therapeutic mission that you've got here. Like, how does that feel different uh, conversing only through like a camera and a monitor versus in-person stuff? Well, the first thing I'll say is that that the the pandemic really brought awareness to us about just how big our our, our reach needed to be and how, how much the... the isolation of COVID kind of revealed like a more of an underlying sense of loneliness across a lot of youth. So a lot of the youth that come to us in our program, they struggle with isolation. They struggle with oftentimes not having a strong supportive social network. And we realized that's not just a Seattle thing. <laughs> that's actually a, a, a reality of people across the world. So the, the first takeaway from switching virtual was, wow, that's so valuable to, to a lot more people than I ever really would have thought. Um, my background is in drama therapy. So for me, in person was, you know, I could use my whole body and take up space. We would sometimes do embodied activities in the sessions that I was running. And so I was actually really worried about switching to virtual mm. because I'm stuck in a box, <laughs> very, very right. visually stuck in a box. The other thing about being in virtual spaces is you can't have a side conversation. Um, my players, nor I, can whisper to somebody else a, a little side note, right? Everything that I say is heard by everybody, and everything that they say is heard by everybody. So there's a lot of sort of um, adjustment to that online space that certainly needed to happen for people who are used to being in person. Um, but I would say there's there's really, it's it's a net advantage for a lot of our players because we're meeting them where they're at. They're at home. So they're in their comfort zone. They don't have to go into a new place and and that reduces the need for parents to uh, transport youth to locations. We actually yeah. have uh, increased our reach that way too. We've actually expanded programs to serve youth in the foster care system um, who can join us virtually without that need of transportation. So it's been a net positive, I think. We've, we've recently re-expanded back into in-person groups in Seattle. Um, and that really suits a lot of youth who need that extra in-person benefit. But all in all, being in virtual has been really a boon, uh, much more of a feature than a bug, as I would have expected. Yeah, that transport is a is a is a huge thing. I wonder if we can now do virtual soccer practices and dance <laughs> classes for my kids, so that they don't have to be carted yeah. around all to the physical locations. Uh, but yeah, D and D seems you know perfectly suited for for that uh, because of the uh, ubiquitousness of like online tools and things like that. So yeah, how, how have those grown over the three years you've been doing this uh, online? 
Will we, all of our participants get access to D&D Beyond, which has been really nice for them, gives them access to learn about their characters and learn about the, the rules of the game without requiring us to have a lending library like we used to have. So now, mm-hmm. because everybody has access to their character and all of the character creation tools on D&D Beyond, they can do all of that on their own pace at their own time and then ask questions about it. It's been an awesome, I actually had a group the other day where one of my participants did a screen share and helped another player build out their character by using oh. D&D Beyond. It was a really interesting way that you know, one person is driving the the screen share while the other person is saying, oh, click on that spell. I want to see what that spell does. And then the mm-hmm. other player who has a lot more experience could say, oh, this spell is really good when, and then fills in the gaps. And so it was a great, great way for me as the game master to lean back, right, and let the players connect with each other and build on each other's strengths. Yeah. That's cool. That's- yeah. You know, I feel like like that you and Adam were really uh, like early adapters to this idea <laughs> of, you know, game therapy and becoming therapeutic dungeon masters. And since you started, it's it's gathered a lot of steam. There's I just saw an article yesterday and you know about how D&D can make you a better manager at work and the like, <laughs> psychologists agree like D&D is actually making people better. Um but is, is there a moment that in your practice that you saw this like real adoption start to take hold that like more and more people were starting to get on board with the work that, that you've been putting out there? Um, I was on a panel, a, a panel presentation at the North American Drama Therapy Association conference. And the originally I had posted a talk and apparently a lot of other people had posted talks as well. Drama therapists wanting to talk about role playing games at the conference. And so they needed a panel. And at this panel, there was a bunch of other students and people working on their their you know, learning the the works of drama therapy. And each one of them said, I'm here because I saw Adam give a presentation at PAX. Oh, wow. So there was wow. a, a panel of students who all had started studying drama therapy in order to learn how to use it in a in a RPG setting because of a talk that Adam and I had given. So it was it was a cool moment to think about the the legacy of some of the work that it's that's been. And yes. it's a thing. Me and Shelly, we've been, you know, following this band way before anybody else was. <laughs> we knew you before you were cool. I had the t-shirt. I had a mixtape with Adams on it way, way, way back in the day. I, I know Wheelhouse Workshop, okay? That's, <laughs> That's how right. long I've been following you guys. <laughs> we actually just hired some people. Uh, I just gave a, a new staff training, and I said, you might hear people mention Wheelhouse Workshop. Here's what that means in the context of that, because it's, it's, you know, the OG. Yeah, what I mean, for those, because right, Shelly, there's people who may not know. <laughs> What is Wheelhouse Workshop? Well, that was that was the, the the genesis for a lot of these ideas, right? <laughs> right. So uh, Adam Johns, the other founder of Game to Grow, and myself, before we started Game to Grow, we ran Wheelhouse Workshop, was which was just a two person organization, a for profit company. I was a full time classroom teacher teaching fourth grade literacy, and Adam Johns was a therapist in private practice. And in our free time, which any teachers will know is not a lot, we mm-hmm. built a two person organization and ran groups in the evening. So I was running, I think. Two evening groups in Kirkland, two evening groups in Greenwood, and a group in West Seattle um, while being a classroom teacher full time. So we, wow. we hit a, a point where we realized this has legs and we want to see, we want to help this program grow. So that was when we both, you know, decided that for the true expansion of this vision, we needed to, go to transition into a nonprofit. What you said earlier about students coming to hear your talk because they're studying role-playing as part of therapy. Like, is, do you see this 
as like, I don't know, 20 years from now, it's just standard practice. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah, this is, of course, you're going to go to your D&D therapy group. <laughs> I, I I love the idea of this being a, a bigger part of, of the ecosystem of, of personal growth. There is, uh, that's part of Game to Grow's vision, right? There's a game in every home, a game in every school, a game in every hospital, and a game in every clinic. So that's, that is our vision. So I'm, I hope that it becomes standard practice. There's something nice about us being kind of the misfits. That's kind of the way I felt about drama therapy as well. There's something nice about not being... Um, beholden sometimes to what the, the, you know, the, the rest of everybody wants you to do. We can kind of let our freak flag fly a little bit. Like a lot of folks who really love D and D, we kind of, we, we come from the basement, you know, we're misfits in that, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So I love the idea of this spreading far and wide, but I hope we never lose that sort of uh, sense of, of pioneer that, that brings a lot of people to this field. Yeah. I just can't wait for people to 20 years from now be like, oh, sorry, I can't. I have D&D therapy tonight. Uh, <laughs> it's really important that my character defeat the evil lich uh, so that... <laughs> right. D&D family therapy, D&D marriage therapy. I just see it. Yes. It can happen. It can happen. It can happen. But I, I, I respect what you're saying there, Adam, where you're like, you don't want it to be... You want it to be more accepted, but also not quite mainstream because you're right you lose a little bit uh when that becomes the norm because there's there's nothing novel about it right there's nothing that 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 pushes the boundaries if it just becomes commonplace then that's part of the the um that it, it would it would undermine part of the joy of right this and so much of practice. what we do using rpgs the way that we do is is responding to the emergent moment right that's what makes really exciting mm -hmm. games is when it's not scripted, railroaded play, but we can actually go, oh, I want to go that way. I want to see what happens if, right? And that that sort of improvisational characteristic is really important about it. I think that's what's really exciting about seeing this grow is seeing how everybody kind of has their own their own bend on it, right? Everyone has their own approach in the way that they they play. Every GM is different already, but now you've got every therapeutic GM brings their own flavor to it as well. There was a, a talk that I mean, I gave at PAX well, gosh, I remember which East, one of the Easts a long time ago where we <laughs> said, raise your hand if you're interested in, you know, using this kind of, of modality. And we saw so many hands go up. And what our, our advice to them was to look around and think of the other people raising their hand, not as competitors, but as collaborators. And I think that's been a really cool mm -hmm. thing we've seen also, because Adam and I didn't make up D&D therapy. People have been using D&D in therapeutic work for years and years and years. And, and I would argue that collaborative storytelling for personal growth outcomes is in our DNA. Like since we used to sit around fires and tell stories and, and learn. Um, but what is different now is that those of us engaged in this work are colleagues and friends. I, I listened to the, the episode you had Megan Connell, mm -hmm. you know, she's a friend and mm -hmm. I read her book. It's awesome. Like I don't think of her as a competitor. I think of her as a colleague and everyone, I want everyone to read her book and read the game to grow book. I think the world is better when we are seeing each other as, as, you know, team members. Yeah. And that's D and D exactly. You know, to a T, right? Like, oh yeah, we are we're all collaborators. It's a it's a, a cooperative game uh to defeat the big bad, which is which is what, I don't know, in this context, mental uh uh I don't wanna say you know you know, a, a negative way, but like Demons, you know, yes. having some growth. Our personal, yeah. Games mm -hmm. to Grow, exactly. Uh, let's talk about that Game to Grow book. Yeah. It is uh, out now. It's on Amazon. Um, you can search for it. It's called Therapeutically Applied Role-Playing Games, The Game to Grow Method. And it really, um, 
it's really designed for practitioners. So it's like my dad bought one and I'm not sure he's going to get much out of it, you know, but, um, my dad didn't buy our book. So that's (laughs) nice of him. (laughs) Not even on Kindle. Um, (laughs) Had to give him a copy. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give my dad a a hardback copy of Don't say he might listen to this. Sorry. Spoiler alert. Birthday (laughs) present. Dad is coming your way. Hi dad. (laughs) I wrote a Um, book for you, dad. Is that how I can Are you proud of me now? <laughs> like cats in the cradle. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so the, the, the Game to Grow book, really, it's a distillation of a lot of the the ways we do what we do, right? Because it's, it's the kind of thing where uh, the applied work the Game to Grow does looks a lot. Like if someone looked through the window, you would look a lot like a D&D game, right? And I think Megan said this this when she was on the show, too. It looks a lot like a D&D game. There's just the same way that a, a therapeutic conversation looks kind of like a conversation between two or, or more people, but with intentionality, you have outcomes associated with that. The same thing is true with intentional RPG. It's like, it will be fun. It will also be challenging. It will also, you know, make you think about things in new ways, but it's still at its core, in order to be a good therapeutic game master, you've got to be a good game master. At its critical mm. core. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry, I missed the opportunity for a brand placement there. <laughs> right. Yes, at its critical core. Thank you. Critical by the way. <laughs> yes. Always be selling. Uh you so you you said that it's you know it's meant for practitioners, but I do I feel like that book, but also critical core are just chock full of tips for anyone running. Um I was so excited to discover critical core before I started running the D&D club and because it was like parents were like oh I'm so excited that my kid is in the <laughs> D&D club by the way she is ADHD or she's neurodivergent and I'm like I, I don't know what does this mean for me like I, I don't even know how to be a dungeon master I'm gonna <laughs> mess up somewhere but there is like there's such good advice just for any for playing with anybody especially kids but with for adults um I especially love the dots system. And I was wondering if you could walk us through uh, how that works. Cause I think that all dungeon masters would get some great, um, it's just good advice for all DMs. I would love to talk, talk about the dots system. It's something I'm, I'm particularly proud of, especially because the, the idea of dots came from a screenwriting class that I was in. So it's really, mm. like, Oh, interesting. It's, it's, uh, let's my, once again, my drama therapist freak flag fly a little bit. Like it's fundamentally, yes. we're talking about narrative and stories here. Um, so the dot system of narrative construction really at its core, it, it embraces the idea that your D and D game is a story. It is not, uh, a, an open world sandbox like Skyrim where you just kind of poke around and wait for the exclamation points to pop up, right? It, this is like an opportunity here for you to to build a story with your players. And so um, at its core, what, what we look at is every encounter in the game, every uh, every scene really is a dot. And like any good therapy program, it's an acronym. And DOTS <laughs> stands for Desire, Obstacle, Tactic, So Then. So the idea here is every encounter of the game, there is something the, the characters want, right? That's their desire. There's also something between them and the thing that they want. That is the obstacle. So the desire and the obstacle is the game master's job. You set up your characters are in a in a certain situation. They want to cross this canyon, but there is a rickety bridge in the way, right? <laughs> what do you do? And at that point, the game master passes the narrative 
the torch to the players and say, what do your characters do to overcome that to get to the object or the outcome that they desire? Well, that's the tactic. And then the players get to decide, look at their character sheets or think outside the box or whatever to decide the tactic that their characters will, will do. Then something happens. The game master always describes, okay, you want to try that? Okay, let's see what happens. You can certainly try, as game masters always like to say. Um, and that's the so then. So in every encounter, you have the game master setting up the desire and the obstacle. The players just determining what tactics they're going to use to overcome that obstacle. And then the game master describing what happens regardless of they, if, whether they succeed or not. So what's really nice about this system is it empowers the game master to be very narrative focused. And it also empowers the game master to have your hands off for what the players are going to do. The players always surprise you. It's always good to be prepared, but to have an idea of of building that narrative very intentionally is a great way to let the players have a lot of agency while making sure your story is still on a pathway. I love that I'm because so I've cool. seen so many times, honestly, even just in, in smaller instances where the desire is known by the player and they don't know what tactic they should use in order to accomplish their goal. So, and this is especially for new players, we're like, hey, I want to, you know, set up this situation so I can use this, uh, uh, you know, a thing that my character is built for in order to to um, have that fun fantasy, right? And then so sometimes other players or the uh, game master can provide that tactic or sample tactics, and then they get to choose one, right? And so breaking that down into this into this system is a really fun way to um, you know codify how normal gameplay happens. Right. And this, this sort of came to fruition when I was, um, I was game mastering. I remember talking to Adam Johns about this because I set up this encounter where the players also got what they were looking for. They were in the foyer of a mayor, a corrupt mayor. They were trying to get some, some information on him and they got a little bit of information, but they didn't leave the, the mayor's house. <laughs> they didn't realize that they had gotten what they were looking for. So they were like, I'm going to look for under the statues. And I was like, yeah, you, there's nothing under the statues. And they were like, huh, okay, um, I'm going to lift up the rug. Yeah, there's nothing under the rug. I, we just did that, right? And the, I realized, like, they were, they still thought they, that there was a desire and an obstacle here for them to, to, to get to. And so I needed to really point them in the direction of, okay, you, your, your obstacle was that person you were talking to, right? And now that you've gotten the information from the, the henchman of the mayor, now you, you can move on in the story and realizing that the story has to move forward where the game master nudges along every once in a while, but the characters have to, and players have to know what their characters are up to. So I really, I was so excited about the, the dots um, system. That like I jumped ahead, and I don't. We haven't like fully actually <laughs> even talked about what critical core is. So backwards in time, I'm going to pretend that um, I asked you this question first, Adam. <laughs> can you tell us about this amazing product that you have released, the Beginner's Box, um, Critical? Core. What is this? Sure. Uh, yes. You, this is the first time you've mentioned this. Um, critical <laughs> core is a is a beginner's <laughs> box for therapeutic role playing games. So, um, really, like I said, Game to Grow's mission is to get games out there into the world, and it's hard to be trained to become a good game master. We, we've we've this has been known for a long time. So, there was a, a couple of, of instigating moments for what what sort of burst critical core, but uh, in 
once again, time is confusing. It was a number of years ago, Adam Jones and I were keynote presenters at the Washington Association of Marriage and Family Therapy, um, talking about our use of tabletop role-playing games. And we, you know, gave a presentation to an auditorium full of therapists about the you know, systematic and intentional use of tabletop role-playing games. And we had all of these therapists come up to us afterwards and go, how do I get started? I want to do what you do. How do I get started? And at the time we said, well, um, you could go to a game store and then you could pick up your, you know, beginner's box. I don't think beginner's box was out yet. And it was like, pick up a player's handbook and play with your friends and then become a game master and then become a good game master and then become <laughs> a good game master. To, you know, it just was this, this really long step. And it, Megan's book even kind of paraphrases this for, for when she was giving advice to brand new game masters wanting to use the game therapeutically, you have, there's a huge learning curve in order to be a good game master. Yeah. So what we what we wanted to build with Critical Core was to cut out the middleman. We wanted to build a starter set, not just for neurodivergent players who've never played the game before, but also for brand new game masters, therapists, parents, educators, whoever, people who want to use the game for good. So Critical Core was that, is that. It's, it's that beginner's box. And it's got um, some... Simplified rule sets actually built on the OGL um, simplified rule set. Um, it's you can think about it like D and D light. There's a, a strip down rules. When we play with brand new players in game to grow groups, we take out a lot of the rules from D and D that are great for when players build into the complexity. But when they first get started, it's a simple storytelling game, and that's how Critical Core gets started. It's a no character creation. There's only five levels. By the time you play Critical Core up to level five, you're ready to move on to whatever game the game master wants to. But it's the facilitator's guide that really brings in that intentional play. So Critical Core has a big game master's guide. There is no player's guide because we want our players looking at each other, not looking at a book. <laughs> so the, the, um, there's a game master's guide where game masters can learn the rules of the simplified rule set. There's a facilitator's guide that talks about the tips and tricks we use to engage players and help them get the most out of what they're doing. And then we have three uh, story modules, and those are all built on that dots system. Well, I, I dig that, you know, because I think the idea of a starter set or like where people begin with this hobby is uh, always a, a challenge, right? Because, you know, as you said, it's like, oh yeah, you just have to have, you know, 45 years of experience and then you can, <laughs> and then you can jump right in and it's that easy. Um, but I love that there is this uh, therapeutic uh, angle from even the, you know, the learning of, of, of how tabletop role-playing games work. And I think it's honestly a, a really great starter set for for anyone even if you aren't thinking about it doing it in a, in a therapeutic session right we've had parents uh, use it with their kids right and uh, game to grow was just uh, published we, we had a um research partnership with foundry 10 a local education research organization that studied our our use of tabletop role-playing games and its impact on social emotional learning and we use dungeons and dragons with the skills and and tools from critical core so it really translates into once you play critical core and read the facilitator's guide and understand dots you can use that in whatever role-playing game you want to um, which is the the nice thing about thinking of that as a starter set is you can use critical core that the tips and tricks and the facilitator's guide with you know, once your players are interested in all of that good crunch that comes from a complex, you know, major market role playing game like D&D, they've already learned the the back and forth, the asymmetrical nature that the game takes. They've learned how combat works in that turn order. But now you can say, oh, now you get two actions per turn. Right? Now you can build into the complexity of later, later, higher level gaming. Yeah, 
it's like the tutorial of video games, right? It's like it was you know, actually that's a, a way that I explain it in our trainings. So I'm like, you know, when you start Skyrim and it's like use A to look around, and then you're you're using A and learning how to look around. That's the best way to teach RPGs as well. Like yeah. if I was to say learn how to play this game by handing somebody the player's handbook, read <sighs> this, we'll start. That that's not going to work. Um, so that the first uh, adventure module in Critical Core is the way that we have historically taught. D&D forever. It starts off with a, an interaction with Seamus, um, the soup maven. It's a tavern, but it's not a tavern because there's no alcohol, so everybody drinks soup. Um, but it's, a, it's a soup tavern, and you interact with Seamus, the soup maven, and then skeletons attack, and then you learn how combat works, and then you've got to do a little exploration to save Seamus. Spoiler alert, he gets stabbed. Well, a lot of alliteration. Oh, that is the thing. That, that Seamus, um, skeleton, soup. That that is true. I I wheelhouse workshop <laughs> came to grow. It's D and D. Oh yeah, I love I love I love me some alliteration. I do too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I did. I kept seeing things pop up about this. Uh, the the uh, research that was done in collaboration with Foundry Ten. A lot of articles about you know surprise D and D is good for kids. Hey. And because that's just such a soft spot for me. Can you tell us some of the, some success stories, just some ways in which you have seen these changes um, and especially helping kids with the, the SEL that is so important, uh, social emotional learning. That's so important, especially after these past three years. But how, how can D&D help boost that in kids? Yeah, give us some anecdotes well, so that we can cry. Uh, is I know. basically what Shelly's asking. We haven't, we haven't <laughs> cried in an interview in a while. I don't know if I have a good tear. This, I don't know if I have a good tear drinking story for you, Shelly. I hope I can I can think of a good one. In, I'll, in, I'll take in, an inspiring have. one. It's fine. <laughs> um, so um, that just to start with that with that research paper, one of the takeaways uh, that was really useful is that you know uh, the game master, the facilitator, actually matters a lot, right? So the cautionary tale I would have for parents who say, "Oh, my kid needs some support," is not go buy them the starter set and hand it to them and say, "Good luck," <laughs> right? Or even take them to a, a drop-in group, but find someone you trust to be the game master. Maybe it's you, parent, who wants to be the game master for your child and their friends. That's a great opportunity for you to be participating with them in a collaborative space. It's really a, a great way to build trust between parents and their kids to be engaging in relational social play. I think that's the fantastic thing for parents to be doing with their kids. Mm. Uh, the, one of the other takeaways that I thought was really nice from that uh, research paper was that conflict is okay. And conflict actually is really, really useful um, for hmm. strengthening relationships and, and helping people navigate that that relational space. Um, there was a uh, w- one of my participants that I was speaking to a while back. I don't think this is your tear drinking story, Shelley, mm-hmm. but I think it's it, we'll we'll start here. <laughs> um, we, I was talking to them about their their friends. You know what 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 are your what does your friendship landscape look like? And they said all their friends are online friends through Xbox. And I said, oh, what happens when you disagree with your friends? And they said, well, I turn off the Xbox. <sighs> and I think, you know, that's a, that's a, you know, a coping strategy right there is a way that we can to stop conflict, right? To, to leave. Um, right. But what's nice about working in, a, in an RPG setting is that conflict, when it happens, I want to go through the front gate of the castle. I want to climb through the window. 
well, how do we want to how do we want to navigate this situation? That conflict, that disagreement, can actually be a wonderful opportunity for values clarification, for compromise, for true collaboration. And then when there's success on the other side, right, then it's a really valuable opportunity to learn from that. That we push through that together, and that conflict strengthens relationships. I had um, another group of of players. This was back when we were in person, and they would they they both secretly messaged me to say the other person shouldn't come. <laughs> they, oh. they were so conflictual um, <laughs> saying like, I don't think that person should be here because they have X, Y, Z thing that they're doing. And it, and I helped them work on that conflict, right? One of the mm. players was interrupting the other player a lot. The other mm. player didn't have the skills to say, can you stop interrupting me? Or I would prefer it if you would hold your, your comment until I'm done speaking. Right? They, didn't ha- they didn't have the skill set, the tools to navigate that conflict. But when with a little bit of guidance and support, I could say, well, here's the impact of what you're doing. And here's, here's what you're trying to do. And then by helping them navigate that conversation and that conflict, they became friends. And they became oh. allies. And then when new people would come, they would kind of be like, and I'm crossing my arms here to like, you know, they'd be like, Here's how we do things in our group, right? Um, and that mm. pushing through of that conflict was how they be, they went from being literal enemies, like <laughs> wanting the other person to not come, to being not just friends but allies, right? And I think that's one of those stories of how RPGs can really like solidify those friendships. I love that. Now, did you do that through out of character interactions or exactly. in character interactions or a combination? A combination. It's all, mm. it, I, I as a game master am very, I'm like metaphorically pointing that fourth wall all the time, right? I'm like, we're engaging in a play space where we know we're engaging in play. The, the narrative transportation is something we're doing, but we always have an eye on who we are as people too. Um, so in outside of the game, I literally taught how to hold up your hand and raise your eyebrows a little bit as a non-verbal indication of I'm not done yet. And I talked to the other one about what that means. So I was giving, being very explicit. Um, I started with, because I don't want to, I don't want to seem like a teacher coming in and saying, today class, we're going to learn about non-verbal communication, right? Because a lot of our participants have been through that kind of direct instruction deficit-based training program so many times that they will turn it off. Yeah. Um, But if I can say, hey, it looks like there's something you're both wanting to get from this. What do you think about me offering some tools? And they both said, yes, please offer us some tools. So then they are prompting me to be their mentor. And then I can come in and give them some suggestions. So that's what I did. It was very explicit. But there was also times where I could introduce opportunities for them to collaborate in the game. Mm Open-ended collaboration, right? Like your two characters need to get a scroll from a moving wagon without anybody knowing that that scroll was taken from the moving wagon. What do you do about it? And Mm -hmm. then they have to come up with some scheme to get this over with. And I knew no matter what happened, they were going to be successful, right? I'm setting this up (laughs) that if they're saying, okay, we're giving free wagon washes, right? And we're going to hope that this wagon guy will come over to get their wagon washed. And I was like, oh, he's like, oh, my wagon's really dirty. I'm, I'm surprised. I've been meaning to get this wagon washed. And he pulls his wagon over and then they distract him while they get the, the scroll out, right? So that is in the game, they're getting to collaborate and feeling the success of working together. And so that, the carrot on the stick there of them navigating their interpersonal conflict is, this game is actually a lot more fun when we work together. 
Yeah. We're more successful in the game and we work together. If you're flagging down the wagon and saying free wagon washes while someone else has used their magical abilities to quickly build a wagon washing station, right? That, that collaboration is something that couldn't have happened without those two players working together. So there's an in-game and an out-of-game sort of going back and forth that's supporting the development of interpersonal skills. That reminds me, I have to get my wagon washed. Uh. <laughs> It's been... I know where you can get some free wagon washing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you just have to unlock your wagon to get in, right? Yeah. <laughs> beep, beep. <laughs> uh, so that seems like a situation that you were clever enough to devise on somewhat on the fly to help them uh, come to a resolution. But it is true, is it not, that with a Critical Core, there are like, meant to be built-in... Uh, I don't know if challenges is the right word, but it's not just like free flow and like encounter. We'll just see what happens here. Like you, you are actually like building key learnings or teachable moments, maybe into each encounter for uh, specific to help to help kids uh, basically yes. who have specific challenges, right? So the, the one of the core principles of critical core in the game to grow method as as a whole is that we we are a social flourishing model, which means we are we don't see deficits in our participants. We want to support them to flourish socially in the ways and as much as they want to be social. So this is not a deficit based like today class we're going to learn about eye contact kind of program. Right. This is a program we want to support our players to to build the capacity to connect with each other, right? Mm. Um, a lot of the direct instruction programs are inherently like, they they teach people to engage in ways that oftentimes the neurotypical majority wants neurodivergent youth to behave. And that lesson that a lot of, of our participants have shared with us is that that just teaches me that I need to mask. I need to, they teach me how to camouflage, not how to be my authentic self. And so what we want to do is support our players to be their authentic selves and and to desire more social contact. A lot of life skills programs are great for teaching how to get your check cashed or how to get your groceries from the grocery store. Those kinds of things are valuable skills, but what they lack is letting the participants feel that intrinsic motivation to be social with other people, right? We want our players to leave going, gosh, it's fun to be around people. People can actually enrich my life. I want to mm. do that effectively. And so, I mean, I, I was literally having a conversation with someone, um, an Australian who I had done a consult with, who was talking about this, the skills program in their high school. And in the high school skills program, uh, they were invited in, uh, a guest was invited in to stand in front of the classroom. And all the students said, hello, how are you today? And they had a script on their desk. And instead of looking at the person after they said the line, they looked at their teacher to see if they did it right. Mm. And then they, they, they were nowhere in this lesson was, we care about how that person's day was. It was, if you said the sentences right, you got the sticker, right? You got oh. the, the green mark on your progress chart. And the person answered, and then they would look back at their script and look over at their teacher. It wasn't about how do we authentically relate to other people as complicated people in a complicated world, right? Which is really what being human is about. It was an opportunity to, to, to pass. And that's really the the 
the takeaway that what Critical Core was also built on is it's not about teaching those skills. So just to circle back, Shelly, as this is a long answer, um, we do want to build those intentional skills into the gameplay. And every encounter in those modules is tied to the core capacities. So we looked at what does it take our, our, to help our players build that capacity to connect with other people. And we boiled it down to five different core capacities that are then tied into those those um, modules or in the, in the dots in critical core. That's such an interesting uh, concept, right? Because kids, I'll just use my own uh, nine-year-old as an example. She loves basketball, but hates going to basketball practice. Like she doesn't want to practice the skills that are necessary to get better to go to, uh, to, to use them effectively in, a, in, the, in the game setting. She just wants the game setting. And so part of what you're talking about is, is showing why you want to use the skills and build them on your own while uh, encouraging the, that skills practice uh, so that it doesn't feel like skills practice. So how, how, do you, how do you do that? How do you motivate the thing? Because like what you're talking about of the, uh, you know, oh, I'm, I'm following the script and I'm getting the sticker. Sometimes you need a little bit of a baseline before you can go right into a uh, a game setting that has other people involved in it, right? So those feel in, in a little bit in conflict. So how, how do you how do you um, justify or, or think about how game to grow adds into that before they have the basic skills necessary to even you know engage with people? So a lot of this comes down to assessment, right? It, it's it's conversations that we would have with parents, with whatever caregivers are, are helping refer the youth to us to talk about what those goals are. Because goals are important and understanding what the, what the participants' goals are, what's maybe in between them and the thing that they're getting, kind of like a dot, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, then in, in the, what's, in, what's really important about this, though, is making sure there's motivation and we don't want to yeah. take away the autonomy of the participant. And oftentimes when you say, oh, your mom says you need to work on this. And if you do this, I'm going to give you a gold or in-game reward or something like that. There's no intrinsic motivation, no, no internal desire to do that outside of this extrinsic external reward, right? And that can actually reduce the internal desires that someone has to do a thing. So if I give an external reward for someone for being social, I might be undermining them actually wanting to be social in the first place. So mm. what's really useful about a game like like D&D is that it's fun. <laughs> the youth want to come back to it. And there's also something we talk about in our training program, um, restraint, having a game master let participants struggle. Right. The two the example of the two participants that I told you about before, I didn't swoop in and save them. I let them struggle. And in letting them struggle, they were then able to say, I need some help. And then I can come in as that mentor role. I don't see them struggling and go, hey, hey, with my wagging teacher finger and my, you know, furrowed teacher face that says, you two need to compromise, right? You two need to work together. It was, oh, I see you two want to work together, but you're struggling to do that. I'd like mm -hmm. to help me, support you. Let me give that. you some examples of how to do that so that they they have the own intrinsic reward of, the, of their own and make that conscious choice to be like, no, I want help. Yeah, exactly. And I've had participants, you know, I, I can do things. We talk about this in the training program too, about introducing NPCs that are analogous to their real world situations, right? So there, mm -hmm. there may be, especially in middle school, high school age, parents or teachers kind of giving them that wagging finger and the scolding eyebrows, right? And they might in 
interact with an NPC that I'm role playing as that as that sort of overbearing figure. And then they can go, oh, this reminds me so much of insert person here. Right. And then I go, oh, my gosh, what did you do with it with this particular NPC? Okay, well, you yelled at them. Did that? Is that what you yeah. do when your mom does? No. Okay. What do you do when your mom does? Okay. Does that work? Okay. Sometimes that works. Maybe we can try that with this NPC. Or I don't have. I don't know what to do. Right. And then I say, Oh, would you like some maybe some some tools or resources I can share with you? Right. And it's always a would. Would you be willing to try this? Would you like so that my my sentence frames are always making sure that they maintain their autonomy and I can and they know that I respect them. I'm not the adult who's yet another adult wagging my finger and telling them what to do. Oh, if only you behaved differently, right? Um, which, you know, kids can only hear that so many times before they really internalize that sense of self-doubt, right? So what I want to do is build their self, their self-confidence and self-efficacy and help them know that if they keep trying, they, they're going to keep chipping away at that rock or they're going to find a new strategy. There was a, a participant that, you know, with an overbearing NPC, they said, oh, this is just like my situation with my mom. Um, I, you know, I'm not allowed to talk when she's focusing on something, but when I'm trying to watch my shows, she's going to vacuum and she doesn't, <laughs> she just vacuums in the room. Um, and I'm like, oh man, that's, you know, that sounds frustrating. Um, you can't hear your show over the, over the vacuuming. Like, and then I could say, you know what? That reminds me of a situation that I've, I've been in too. I've been in situations where I needed to advocate for myself and I didn't know how to, but here's something that I've used. Would you like to hear about it? And then I can teach like literally the dear man sentence frame from dialectical behaviors therapy, right? I can, I can introduce those in a way that I'm coming in as a mentor and as a, as a, pseudo peer in the gaming space and then they can try that very explicitly in the game and have it work right that that game-based feedback can happen so fast they could try that with the, the sentence frames that i wrote down on a piece of paper they could try that with the npc and then i knew that that player needed some reinforcement for giving a giving it a shot so it worked <laughs> that npc was like oh thanks for speaking so clearly to me about the thing you want and the, the motivation behind it right and i have had players what you were, you were speaking earlier greg about you know some of the questions about what was useful about the uh, virtual space mm -hmm. i can send direct messages to somebody in a virtual space so i we had a whole conversation about how to advocate for what you want and using sentence frames. And then I had a player who was you know, kind of leaning back because the other players were getting kind of distracted by something in the story. And I messaged that one player through the chat on Zoom. And I said, this is a good opportunity for you to try that thing we just talked about. And then he spoke up, kind of raised his hand, shushed everybody and then said, I'm noticing you're really focused on this particular candle shop in this town. I'm feeling frustrated because I want to go into the mine and fight some of the monsters. And they were like, yeah, we are kind of overly focusing on this candle shop. Let's go in the, in the mine and fight some monsters. Thanks so much for saying that. And that player got a chance to see clear as day. If I self-advocate in a way that's not yelling or accusatory, it actually works. And that's a pretty cool outcome for that player to get. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what would you, what do you do if, they are trying to make, I, going back to the, the concept of like resistance and trying not to like stop them from making bad decisions. But what if they are making bad decisions in the game? Like, do you just let that play out or 
what do you mean by bad decisions? Well, like, yeah, what that's if, what I was going to ask. I know. <laughs> I know. I guess there aren't any bad decisions. Like, you can, anything can happen. But what, like, what if they were, were like, trying to fight the party? Like, what if they were, like, going to turn against a party member or steal a party member's gold or betray some, like, kill the quest giver or something that, and, and then the rest of the party does not want that to happen. So sometimes it's important to say, here's how this game works. Yeah. Right? This is mm-hmm. not, this game doesn't have player versus player combat. Like it's not a fun, it just doesn't work in the game. You can't really do PVP. It's like, you can kind of try, but it's then I'm coming in as a peer saying, if you want to try, we can have maybe like a battle royale monster versus monster at some point. That might be kind of interesting. Now mm-hmm. we're collaborating about how we might want to get some of this out. Mm, maybe we could do that. Like maybe there's a cool opportunity down the road for us to do a battle royale sort of danger room um, <laughs> thing. We can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but now's not the best time for that. You know, it's that I'm, I'm on their side, attributing them the best intentions that they could possibly have. Oh, it sounds like you want to have some combat. Well, we can have some combat a little bit later. Um if they want to steal something from other players or somehow like undermine other players' goals, I say, I have a table rule about this. You can't do anything that negatively impacts another player without their consent. Okay, easy. And I think yeah. good stories have player co- conflict in it. Like if you watch the Harry Potter movies or whatever big movie is out at the time, I'll say, because that shows my age a little bit. <laughs> um, whatever movies out at the time, I say those two characters didn't always get along. And that makes the story interesting. It's actually great when characters don't get along um, 100% of the time. But like, what does that look like? And then if you want to steal something from another character, they have to agree that that thing gets stolen. We talk about as a group how that Im- impacts the narrative. How does, how does that like support the story that we're trying to build here together? So it's always leaning on to that collaboration a little bit. But as far as like b- bad decisions, I don't believe in bad decisions. I think if it serves the narrative, I think it's great. I think like I kill the quest giver, I make my quest givers invulnerable. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, I just, it just like waves, wave it off. There was, there was a time that like, I also, if I'm an NPC, I stay in character. And then they're, (laughs) then it's like, Uh uh, they're like, I want to kill him. And I'm like, who do you want to kill? I'm the only one here. <laughs> I'm going to kill the villain that's, that ramshackled our town. Well, like, good. Let's, let's do that together. But first, I got to give you the quest. Um, where I had a player who was that's like, so I punch good. him. And he was like, and then uh, I, in character, the, the player like held up a fist, like miming, I punch him. And then I was like, I held up my fist and fist bumped him. Yeah. <laughs> let's do that. Um, you know, it's like, it's, it's leaning on play, right? Leaning yeah. on this, like, we're building this together. N- nothing you can say can make me not want you here. A lot of that is like boundary testing. A lot of players, uh, especially in the, in the game to grow ecosystem, they, they come to us having been kicked out of a lot of other programs, kicked oh, out of sports. They were asked to leave their arts and crafts thing because oh. they struggle reg- being regulated. They struggle, you know, with interpersonal conflict. And so a lot of the youth, assume they're going to get kicked out of a program like ours. And so they push boundaries. And so yeah. a lot of what we do as game masters, the 20 something game masters in the game to grow system. Now we don't let them push us away. Right. Our job there is to say, it's all right. You belong here. I'll, I'll, I'll play with whatever you're bringing. Um, you can't make me kick you out. <laughs> so um, you, you fist, we fist bump, right. We laugh about it now or whatever that is. That's so much of that is, is, um, needs to be identified when it is pr- the, the participant is trying to protect themselves. 
They're saying, I think you're going to kick me out eventually. So I'm going to do everything I can so that I'm in control of you kicking me out. Oh. And I, we, we don't let that happen. We say, you come as you are. That's a big part of our, the Game to Grow mission. Well, that's a tearjerker. See, <laughs> I knew there, I knew that you would get me at one point in this interview. <laughs> Bringing it back to the Nirvana quote too. Uh, I, I think that also has to, a little bit to do with you. You said earlier about uh, wanting this program to feel like it is welcoming to the misfits, to the people that don't, yeah. uh, you know, uh, flourish in other settings. You can flourish in this one uh, because you're using conflict not as a, uh, you know, test and an assessment. It's the conflict is what this game is about to a certain extent, right? And so if someone comes in there wanting a conflict, you're like, yeah, I, I love that you, all of your examples of like, yeah, no, I'll just turn it back on them and be like, yeah, no, we're we're playing. And I think a lot of uh, parents sometimes think about video games as being, you know, that that whole rhetoric about, you know, Grand Theft Auto, you know, teaching people how to be violent and things like that. And they're not realizing that the conflict that's inherent in a lot of these games is something that is a teaching tool. It is a way to um, uh, test those boundaries, to make those things happen. And I think like encouraging that and and then resolving it in a way, right? Because everybody gets in fights. Everybody, when you're growing up, has some type of conflict with somebody, What's important is how you resolve it, how yeah. you figure it out, how you move forward. Maybe it is, hey, I'm not going to go see you know, so-and-so down the street for a couple of days while we cool off. But like, those are all viable tactics that mean that you know, there can be growth happening right there. And so that's, that's what you're teaching. I just think it's so interesting to have it all, you know, all the stuff that we've learned from playing this game for so many years and so many <laughs> decades, have it be uh, you know, explicitly uh, put out in these, in these products and these programs that you're doing. It's, it's really great. And you got to talk about this. So, yeah, I want to uh, uh, bring it to the documentary on, on, on time.com. Yeah. You were talking about this product and, and, and even more uh, of, of a venue, a larger venue. What was that like? Yeah, so that was, that was a wild thing. So this documentary is on time.com and on Canopy, the time.com streaming service you can get on there if you have a library card, which is pretty cool, too. No, no cool. fees, just you have to be a member of your library, which as a former literacy teacher, go be a member of your library also. <laughs> um, so this documentary, a, a crew came to Seattle, Seattle, to Kirkland, where our office was at the time, in 2019. And they filmed me playing a game with four of our participants uh, and interviewed uh, them and Adam Johns and myself. And then COVID happened. <laughs> and <laughs> I just assumed that this documentary was going to be shelved, right? It was going to go nowhere um, because everybody was shifting their priorities in the midst of COVID. And then it turned out that that documentary wasn't shelved. It actually got picked up by time.com and got even bigger. Um, and so that crew reached out to me, actually was looking to get some clips from it so we could use in some other promotional stuff. We have a big fundraiser coming up. And they said, actually, Adam, I've been watching you talk like all day, every day for the last like couple of weeks because I'm editing that, that that interview. And I was like, oh, wow, that's some funny. Um, <laughs> um, and they were like, yeah, it's going to be on time.com. So I, I had to like, the, I had couldn't talk about it until it was up. <laughs> um, but now it's up on time.com. Oh, that's which is super cool. And there's a bunch of other big names in D&D in that documentary. Um you know, Debra Ann Wall gets uh, interviewed and so does, um, oh, I'm going to say the wrong name. Matthew Lillard um, talks in there, when, you know, as a 90s kid. I love Matthew Lillard. <laughs> so it was pretty fun. Yeah. And in, in that documentary, there's a, some uh, youth talking about their experience with, uh, with D&D, which is a pretty awesome thing to just 
have come from from their mouths, not just mine, about the the impact that the, the game has had on them. Well, I hope it gets more of a spotlight on uh, everything you're doing um, with this. And uh, yeah, you mentioned the fundraiser, so that seems as great of a transition as any to get into <laughs> talking about uh, how people can help this initiative that you're doing here. Yeah, so Game to Grow has uh, several initiatives that are purely donation supported. So I mentioned earlier our, our program that serves youth in the foster care system. We also have a program that serves youth in the hospital system. So we have been using virtual, the power of virtual technology to zoom in or, or WebEx in to hospitals. And we can play critical core with kids in a hospital setting where they don't have to leave their hospital bed. Some of them have oxygen masks on. Some of them are receiving treatments during the session, but they can still play the RPG with us. Um, that's entirely donor supported right now. We have a, a small grant, but grants run out. Um, so it just so happens that when this podcast airs, it'll still be give big. And give Yay. big is if you're in Washington, it's a it's like our Giving Tuesday, uh, except it's in May. Um, so it is time <laughs> for give big. So if you would like to support Game to Grow, the things we do, our groups, our our scholarships, to our training program for teachers, whatever it is, you can go to gametogrow.org/support. And there's a number of things you can do if you're a streamer. We love streamers. If you want to play some D&D uh, to fundraise for us, you can learn all about that. GameToGrow.org slash support. Sweet. Wonderful. I think more people are going to jump on that. All right. Well, GameToGrow.org is a great uh, you know, thing to promo anyway. If anybody's excited <laughs> about learning about uh, everything that we've been talking about here. Um, what about uh, other places online that people can find out more? We have uh, Facebook. Twitter and Instagram, all of it is uh, at game to grow, not the number, but the word to game to grow across all those platforms. I'm not too um, big on the social medias, so the best way to, to reach us really is to come to our website and send us a contact message. But we're we're out there in the world. Get out there, support game to grow. There even there's volunteer opportunities too, right? Yes, as as the world sort of turns back into a place where we are not entirely virtual and there are in-person things, yes, we will be returning to conventions. We might need some support staffing tables. We also want to get Critical Core out into the world. So if you're someone that wants to play it um, in a school setting, perhaps, or in uh, as to be a, a Critical Core ambassador and go play it at your local game store and see if they want to buy it, all of those volunteer opportunities are, are emerging right now. All right. Always so. a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me again. Well, thank yeah. you. Thanks Great for all of the, the work that you're doing. And now I feel like I have all this parenting. Uh, as, me too. Uh, you know, <laughs> things I can use some of these things for. Right. Yeah. Every time I see you, Greg, I'm like, let me talk to you about about parenting because you know, being a, I'm 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 newly a dad, and it's like oh, I just want to talk to dads all the time now. It's it's a thing, yeah. And as they get older and older, it's like oh, it's totally different. They're leveling up and learning new skills, <laughs> yeah. uh, and so we are there to to help foster them, just like good game masters do. Right? Exactly. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, I can't wait to check in with you uh, in a few years about how Game to Grow is helping you game to grow your child. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much, Adam. Uh, we'll check in again soon, I'm sure. Thanks. Wonderful to check in with Adam and see everything that they are doing for uh, mm. the youth. There was a lot of talk of youths in, this, in that <laughs> interview, and I kept thinking of, uh, uh, you know, my cousin Vinny. My cousin Vinny. <laughs> um, yes, God, like just so much good stuff happening. I know. Inspiring. Yeah, definitely.
check out everything that they're doing. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously he said the, the books are a little bit more uh, minded for those who are doing it in a uh, specific intentional way. But as Shelly, you said, there's a lot of great advice there that can filter down to both parenting and dungeon mastering because they're, uh, they're intertwined, those two. Sure are. Awesome. So everything that's going on in Dungeons & Dragons, we, uh, by the time you listen to this, we will have been at the Get Lit Literary Festival in Spokane. Uh, mm-hmm. Former Dragon Talk guest, uh, Dr. Terry McMullen, has invited us there, and I can't wait to have our conversation with him as well as get to play D&D with Justice R. Mon. Uh, we're, like I said, we're recording this in advance. Former so Dragon Talk guest. Also former talk and Dragon Talk guest, yes, exactly. Um, so that's going to be really great. Um, hopefully you'll see all of our, our socials lit, light, lit up. Lit with get, up. Being get lit uh, from Spokane. I am so excited to visit Spokane so much. Uh, it just seems like a fun, cool place, and they like beer and basketball. So yeah, kind of really don't need much more than that. I know, and now I get to be like, UConn, we beat Gonzaga. Ha, 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 ha. You better. I don't know how if that's going to really ingratiate you to the locals. I got to go quickly get some UConn gear and make no. sure I wear that to all well, you're gonna appearances. Walk, you're going to walk behind me. <laughs> yeah, and we're of course going to be there to help promote everything about Welcome to Dragon Talk, still available everywhere, uh, wherever you get books, uh, whether you get them through your local game game store, local bookstore. Um, it's not maybe really good game stores, in, maybe game store. Some game stores definitely ordered it, um, and of course, the Audible. You can hear us talk through all of the words that we wrote down on paper. Yeah, if you're so inclined. The words that we didn't know we were actually going to have to read out loud. Otherwise, we would have chosen different words. <laughs> it's true. Extemporaneously. Uh, <laughs> Especially? What? <laughs> Especially. Especially. That was my favorite that you've been saying wrong this entire I, time. You know what? I, w- I reverted. I went back to saying it wrong. <laughs> I, had, I had like two or three days of like proper pronunciation. And now I'm back to especially. Especially. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Check those out if you can. And uh, if you want to follow along, oh, I do have a website now. I have gregtito.com. Check that out. Um, There is some information about all the podcasts and books and appearances. uh, Less so on the appearances, but check the blog for uh, more information and news about everything that I'm doing in my creative endeavors. I love it. Did you give us the URL? It's gregtito.com. Okay. Okay. What about your socials? Those are also at Greg Tito on the Twitter. Oh, it's just we're just one stop shopping. Greg underscore Tito on the Instagrams, mm. uh, and I'm also somewhat active on on Mastodon and Hive under Greg Tito as well. I'm at Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram, and ShellyMazanoble.com is my website. And I'm gonna go up, maybe like update it tonight, just in case any of you come to visit. You should. Okay. You should also get a redirect for ShellyMood.com just so that people who put that in uh, get to your website. Good idea, Greg. <laughs> I like we'll it. Just double your domain hosting uh, <laughs> uh, fees over the course of the a year. Good idea. Awesome. Well, now it is time for us to talk about all of the fun things going on with Drunky Two Shoes. Let's go, Drunky. Uh, last we saw her, she was busting into the uh, <laughs> Ancestors Preserve in the Radiant Citadel, trying to deceive the guards so that they could get uh, into the main area. Um, 
with some illusion spells, if I am remembering correctly. So you and your cohorts uh, have now uh, entered the large open preserve of the ancients itself. And uh, uh, if you remember, it is a uh, hollowed out, carved out part of the crystal itself uh, inside. So it's glowing, there's greenery, there's lots of uh, parks, pathways, as well as um, uh, little uh, gazebo type common areas. Um, And there are a gathering of, of folk kind of in one of those center areas right now. That was actually the location where you had talked to Shola uh, most recently. Um, but yeah, there seems to be a whole bunch of people there about, you know, 200, 300 feet away uh, in front of you, um, as well as several of the larger um, uh, crystalline entities uh, that make up the uh, protectors of the Radiant Citadel around this gathering. Wasn't I like in an office with some like scaredy cat gnome dude or something? Yes. And he directed you to like, oh, yeah, okay, you can go that way now. Okay. So there's a gathering. Yeah, uh, in this large open area, uh, the guards themselves are a little bit uh, not present. They were following along whatever you, your distraction that you had given them. I made them think that Shola was running by. Right, and so now they're they're looking for her outside. Oh, uh, can does uh, does Shola have like a, an office or something? I want to go investigate clues. Okay. Um, so you head back into the office and you actually you see the gnome there and he's like, wait, what, what do you want? You're back? I, yes, I, I want to find Shola. I want to know how she disappeared. Oh, everyone wants to know that. Yeah, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look around. Do you mind if I just have a look around? Uh, yeah. You got any secret doors around here? Roll me an investigation check as you look around the office here area. Here uh, um, 1A. 20? Okay. Um, So you uh, see that Shola's office, as the gnome kind of points you to where uh, that would be, Um, you walk in and and your group kind of like fans out and kind of looks around, so you're all kind of doing it together. Um, But you go to her desk, uh, which is is actually quite messy. There's piles of of, um, uh, books and parchments and maps um, everywhere, and uh, even some of those piles are on the floors and the other furniture all around here. It looks like she is a extremely uh, prolific reader as well as collector of uh, information. So it's going to take some time to dig through. And uh, with the 20 roll, though, at your first glance, you see on the desk in front of her a map of a area. It looks like a, like a jungle area with several rivers through it. Is it Cholt? It is not Cholt. Uh, The label actually says a different, uh, it says uh, Manavarsha. I'm going to take that map and put it in my bag. Okay. Uh, So you just Uh, roll it up and and put it in your bag? So I also am wondering if this is like just Shola or if, does it look like ransacked? Like somebody was rifling through her papers and that's why it looks a little messy? It does not. It does not look like it was, you know, like drawers pulled out and stuff thrown on the ground. It just looks like a person who has a lot of notes and tomes and things and has uh, perhaps a disregard for organizing those things or their own organizational system. Yeah, that doesn't, that surprises me. I'm going to go through her drawers. Okay. So you open up uh, one of her drawers um, and... 
inside are more books, more tomes. Um, but one thing is striking to you, and you see a figurine. Uh, it's small, kind of carved out of stone, translucent white stone. Um, but it is in the shape of a tabaxi. <gasps> I am going to pick that up. Okay. And examine it. All right. Um, make me an arcana check, please, as you look and uh, feel this item that has some inherent magical power, you know. I only got a five. You got a five. So you have a sense that, yes, that this is magical and you try to like attune to it or kind of feel um, what type of magic is within this, but you don't. All, all you can kind of get is that it is magical. Do I have friends that are more magically adept than I am? Uh, well, you can ask them. Hey, anyone good at detecting magic? Um, Jonathan says, I, I, I can cast that spell. Yeah. Have you ever seen this? And I hold it up. Uh, he says, no, I've, I've never seen that before. Um, uh, but, uh, and he kind of closes his eyes and holds up his hands and kind of his mouth move uh, silently um, as his, uh, his furry paws uh, try to see. Yes, that, that does appear to be magical according to my powers. I take that too. I'll figure it out later. Um, and then he says, you know, the first round, he's able to get that it is magical and he kind of looks at it a little bit more and the next moment he says, hmm, odd. What? It seems to be transmutation magic within this. I'm not sure what that means. Well, let's look it up. All right. Oh, I thought you were the wizard. You know, I am a, a sorcerer. Oh. And they all, all, all of your friends go, Oh. Wow. Wow. <laughs> well. So all these books don't mean as much to you then, they say. Uh, that's what, that's what um, uh, uh, Altia says. Yeah, I'm not really like a big book reader. No. Mm. Not, not, my, my, not my thing. Uh, I'm going to take this little statue though, and I'm going to point it at Shola's chair. And I'm going to say, Abracadabra! <laughs> and see if anything happens. Okay. What what are you attempting to do? Are you just trying to like see if there is a a command word yes. for this this uh, magic item? Drunky like knows a little bit about transmutation, but not uh, not very much. Okay. <laughs> Abracadabra. Abalabalabala. Well, I'll say that you when you do that, you feel the item kind of kind of a thrum in your hands and we'll end it there okay that's awesome i don't know what it's gonna be but it's gonna be something and and all of you they're all kind of watching you as you're in this messed messy office pointing and saying abracadabra with this item in front of you we shall see thank you bye